Welcome back to Where Are All My Friends, part two of the Aaron Gillespie podcast. This was such a good conversation. It went on for a while. So we split the episode into two parts. If you're listening to this and you somehow haven't listened to episode one, that was all about the beginning of Under Oath, Aaron's come up story and where he's from, his first memories of the band blowing up and his impressions of the band members. Super fun episode. Part two picks right back up at him playing drums for Paramore and that entire experience in that chapter of his life and what that was like for him then we get into under oath getting back together and them having this whole new inspiration and how that all happened then we talk about him as a songwriter and how he differentiates all of his projects as aaron gillespie the almost under oath and really what he's excited about for the future of music as a songwriter and what his process is like writing music so overall an amazing conclusion and part two to the aaron gillespie podcast and if you're new to the podcast and you're just now finding it and listening from these aaron episodes welcome there is also an episode with tim mctagg from under oath their guitar player and their manager, Randy Nichols. Tim's episode is episode 50, and Randy's episode is episode 95. Make sure to go listen to those. They are equally as good just as a whole. Their whole family, their whole team, their whole camp are just brilliant people. So make sure to check those out. Subscribe to the podcast. Send me messages and suggestions of other guests that you want to hear. But right now, let's get right back into part two. Thank you for listening. You played the drums for fucking Paramore, dude. I did. That's crazy. For like like five years, four years. And like a very special era of Paramore, like a wildly cool era of Paramore. Yeah, it was. um, What was that like? I, I have a plaque from that, which is wild. I was, that's why I looked up, but I, dude, it was, um, really, really stressful. Um, and also what I needed at the time. And it kind of like made me fall in love with being a creator again. At the time I had quit under oath in 2010 and I was trying to do like faith-based music and I was fucking getting burnt and jaded. And I was living in that house and a house in Tarpon Springs, Florida. And I was, I had come home from Mexico, like on a solo gig. And I was cutting grass and um, my ex-wife brought me the phone and she said, you need to say yes to this. She brought me my cell phone. I was mowing the grass. Um, and it was my man. It was Randy. And he was like, Paramore wants you to play drums with them. I'm like, what? And I hadn't, you gotta, I hadn't played drums like professionally in like two or three years. I play drums all the time, but like just studio work. And like, I was out of under oath. So I wasn't like seasoned. You know, like yeah, so you night were after just night, living your normal life, like you had, yeah, you had I mean, taken a, a step towards civilian life at this point. I was like, I was, I was playing like solo shows and songwriter shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wasn't like mm-hmm. doing that. Um, so I pick up the phone and it's Randy, and he's like, "There's the cat. There's a catch." And I'm like, "What's the catch?" He's like, "You have to be in Nashville tomorrow night." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? And he goes, he goes, there's another catch. You have to meet a trucker, like a truck driver at your storage unit in an hour. They're going to pick up all your stuff and take it to Nashville. And I'm like, what the fuck? 
So you like get done mowing the lawn and you're like, so my dr- what? <laughs> I'm still mowing the lawn shirtless. <laughs> I'm on the phone outside. So I, I take a shower and I go to my storage unit and I pick up, put my drum cases, like my, my, you know, my main road boxes in, um, that still say Paramore and Under Oath on them to this day. And I, Love I, that. I put those on a truck. And I got another drum set from storage and I took it and put it in my back bedroom and played Paramore songs for like eight hours. I got on a plane Holy the next fuck. morning and we get, I get picked up by their then drummer. So the story is kind of long because it's such a weird scenario. So they had seven drummers between Zach, the original drummer and myself, just guys that would play for like three months, like Elon Rubin from Nine Inch Nails and fucking Josh Freese and like, Crazy drummers, but they had finally, they had auditioned drummers in LA and they had hired this guy named Miles McPherson, who's like a Nashville session guy. And he picks me up from the airport. And the reason I got the phone call is he, they had toured like a little, like small venue tour in Southeast Asia. This is their mm-hmm. first tour on the self-titled record. And they, he picked me up from the airport and he's covered in burns. And he's got a fucking sling on. And he looks like he just came out of Mad Max. He's destroyed. And he, they were, they had like a five or six day break to do pre-production for this next leg of touring. And he got in a crash in a golf cart and the batteries leaked all the acid all over him. And he had broken an arm and he was destroyed. That's why I got the phone call. But he picked me up. He was like still in the band and he was like going to guide me through learning these songs. So just crazy. So he picks me up. And we go to an arena. That's where they're rehearsing. So at this point, I'm like, what in the fuck is going on? So no one told me it was pre-production rehearsals. So full production, screens and lights in a 15,000 seat arena. That's where we're rehearsing. What album? In- what? Self to self-titled. The one with the Ain't It Fun on it and everything. Holy shit. Okay. Self-titled yeah. record. So Why they'd not? only done like 10 shows on that album. So we get there. I sign a three-week contract, 21 shows or, or 18 shows. I sign a non-disclosure agreement about their personal lives. Yeah. And I have five days to rehearse in an arena. And I and it was like a 20, 23 or 24 song set list. And I couldn't learn it all at home in eight hours the night before. So like I played through like all the riot stuff that was so popular you know, and brand new eyes. I played through all that stuff. And then I, I'm like, I don't know this new songs yet. So I would go to this injured dude's house or his studio. Cause he was like helping me through it. Like we became really good what friends. Like, we had met years ago in a hotel gym. Cause he was playing drums for Kelly Clarkson. And we became <laughs> friends like that. It's a crazy story, dude. I can't even, can't make it up. So I learned all these songs. Um, I fly to Ireland and we proceed to do two nights at Wembley in London, like dream stuff, you know, like it was wild, dude. And the second show at Wembley, they're like, do you want to do the US tour? Which was next, which was like Madison Square Garden and all this shit. And I was like, okay. And so this that is went after, on. Like you experienced fucking great touring with Under Oath. And now yeah. you're just like, oh, here's a level that's like different, different 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 shit dude so and it went like that for four years it it, you know do you want to do the australian tour sure do you want to do this sure and then and then eventually they stopped asking i just started getting a schedule um Uh 
And then 2016 rolled around and Under Earth got back together and Zach came back to record on their the Laughter Laughter album and he ended up staying and I, Under Earth kept going. But it, dude, it was the nexus of the, you know, the, the ethos story of it's so interesting because this dude got hurt and became my friend and then I kind of took his job. Yeah. But like dude. not on purpose. Like I just never left because they never, they just kept buying me plane tickets. Dude, it was weird, man. It was it, you know, it was amazing. I played on the live record at Red Rocks, you know, which was great. It was crazy. But yeah. when I think about it, like, it was really stressful because it's not yours. So, like, right. it would be like if you were on Rogan right now or you were on Mark Marin, <laughs> even though you yeah. have your own podcast. Yeah. It's like yeah. not, it wouldn't be as fun to you because you're like, I don't want to fuck this up. Am right. I, and you kind of feel like you have to uh, maintain someone else's image kind of thing. Yeah, and it's their thing and you don't want to taint it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you have to like, so it was really stressful in that respect, you know, because if I mess up on stage or under oath, I don't give a shit. I'm going to laugh mm -hmm. about it. You know what I mean? Like, what are they going to fire me? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if I sing the <laughs> yeah. wrong lyric, is 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 Tim going to come in my bunk and fire me? Fuck him. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but when it's someone yeah, else's fuck thing. You, Tim. <laughs> you know what I mean though? Like when it's someone else's thing, like you can't, you feel this pressure to to overperform. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so it was really stressful, but it was bucket list stuff. Stuff that yeah. you never, growing up in Clearwater, Florida, standing in the food stamp line, you don't think you're going to be at Wembley or flying in a private jet to The Voice. Do you know what no, I mean? You don't. You don't. It's crazy. But at the same time, like, it's not yours. So. Right. It's great, but it's also like more of a job than anything I've ever had in music because. It's not yours, you know? Did it give you a different motivation when you came back to Under Oath? Like, did it hit different coming back to Under Oath? And did you it made like, me, view it as a performer differently? It made me want to make shit, you know? Yeah. At the time, I was so burnt on music. I had quit Under Oath. I was a miserable human, you know? I needed, I needed like, professional help. Just because yeah. of how I was raised, like, hyper-religious and all of that stuff, like my brain was tweaked and I quit under oath for no reason really. And like, yeah, yeah. I hated making music at the time. So it was great for me because it allowed me to like, just do an action, you know? And yeah. I became such a better player and I'd never have been a focuser of like being good at an instrument. I've always been like, let's make shit and then make it exciting live, you know? Like be good at your instrument because you want to translate it, the feeling of it. But in Paramore, it was like, I have to be a good tactician, you know, yeah, like I got to yeah. be fucking good at this. So like, right. it made me such a better player because I wasn't singing and I wasn't right. creating anything. You know what I mean? I was, I was serving a purpose. So right. what it did for me when Under Oath got back together was made me want to create and made me want to create stuff that I had never made before. It kind of healed me as a musician because I didn't write a song for those four years. Nothing. Right. I literally played their shit for four years, you know? Dude. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before we started the podcast. I was like, dude, ever want to appreciate the freedom to be a creator? Like, go work a fucking job. And not that that's, you no. can't pretend that playing drums no, no, no. for Paramore all around the world is working some fucking job. But it's interesting that even just not writing yourself and just showing up and playing drums with a slightly different uh Yeah, reason. yeah, there's no, there was no, there was nothing creative about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like other than you're making, you're making music, you're recreating music live every night, but it, 
I was doing someone else's shit. You know, I was a tactician, yeah. like I said. So for me, like, I and I've always just been a writer. That's what I really like about music. Like, yeah. if I'm honest now, especially now at 38, like, I don't love touring now. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I love that hour on stage with the, with the boys. You know, yeah. I love going and doing, like, a small solo acoustic run in, like, a 300-cap bar. But I don't love anything else about it. Sure. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't need to go to another bar at one in the morning after a show. Like yeah. I'm 40, dude. Like yeah. I don't care. You're you know getting, you've done that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, if I'm honest, the whole time I've been fortunate enough to be in the music industry, what I really love is the, is making the shit. So not doing it for four years will give you a slew of ideas. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it will also like make you appreciate that process more. So here's so. a question, and this is this is a funny one because I'm really not a musician, mm. but to my understanding, you friggin' rip on the drums. Like Thanks. when you talk about your name, I feel like you do have a respect of people will be like, he is a good drummer. He hits super hard. He plays live well. Like I, I do understand that people regard you as like a pretty good drummer. I think so. Yeah. Do you find yourself like speaking the language of drums first? Do you do you find yourself wanting to play a riff on a guitar? Do you want to sing? Do you mm. like really think of it like that? Like, do you find yourself more no. inspired with one or another, or is it more just like no. you play no, the drums none of first? The, none of the above. Hmm. Um, I'm a conceptual person, like as a writer. So like every under oath song, I, every song I write for country artists or a pop singer, or a fucking pitch for a television show, it always starts with a concept for me. So style doesn't matter. Um, and with Under Oath, it, it looks like this, typically. What if we did something that felt this way? You know, what if it, we made something that felt dark? That's a, that's a really broad generalization, but and it's always smaller than that. It's more micro than that. But like, just for the sake of conversation, like, what if we made something that was dark, but fast? That's how, it's, that's how it always starts. You know, and if yeah. it's if it's a song song, like for someone else, I'm like, what about like, what about like you got your heart broken and you don't know why, but the catch is it's coming from someone else. The narrator isn't you. It's about like your friend. So like, huh. that's how I start everything. I'm not Interesting. like, a, I'm not like, I got this drum beat. You want to hear it? Or I got this riff that hardly ever, ever, ever happens in my life. You know, That's drums, are, so I'm the best at, and when it comes to instruments, I'm the best at it as a drummer. But most, most under a song start like with a thought like that. And then usually Tim and I and Spencer and Chris, like, will just literally start like playing something and, and to make it feel like X or Y. But no, man, I'm not like a, I don't know that I, I don't play drums by myself, basically. Right. Like, I, you right. know, you know, I have friends that are like such great players that they play eight hours a day. That makes me want to throw up. Like, I can't. Wow. I have to have a purpose. Do you know what That's I mean? So, no, I absolutely do. But it's like, just wild because, to, again, to my understanding, and I can't speak on it, but I, I do understand that you're a pretty technically good drummer when you need to and want to be. Hmm. But that's just not your thing. Like, you're not just going to go session drum just because. No, no. There has to be a reason. Like, I have to be making something. Like I don't play yeah. drums to like, you know, I have friends that are like so talented that like post videos of themselves playing drums. And I don't do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I don't I have to have a reason. 
You know what I mean? What about like going back to like chasing safety and like writing those like iconic albums? I guess all of Under Earth, but like was was that crazy? Like, were you writing as a vocalist and a drummer at the same time? Or was that just like everyone together in a room and you're like, I don't know. That's just wild. Like you're singing yeah, I and mean, drumming and chasing safety is strange. Cause like I told you the kind of the nexus story about meeting the guys, like we just jam wrote, you're right. But like after we asked Dallas, the original frontman, to leave, we wrote reinventing your exit with just me. I've never talked about this, but there was like a small moment where they wanted me to be the front man. And I was like, no way. Absolutely not. Whoa. Like, no way. Not a chance. So uh, we did write some of Chasing Safety. Um, I can only remember reinventing your exit without, it was just like me singing behind the drums. Um, but I think that that's the only song that I can I can really remember. I'm trying to think. And then, yeah, as soon as Spencer came to like learn those, those songs for those shows, he was filling in for we started just, we just went. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not like a, I guess I am technically good. Thank you for saying so. But I don't, I don't like, I'm not like a drum nerd, you know? Right. Right. I'm kind That's of a, interesting. I'm a song nerd. Like, yeah. I like well, every, that... every genre of music. Like the creation of a song to me is the coolest shit. That ties into the the next piece that I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, hell is yeah. Like, as you now have done so much in your career as an mm. artist, I, I barely started to ask you about this before we started recording. And I was like, no, 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 no. Let's get there. But you have the almost, and then you mm. have Aaron Gillespie. Yeah. And I was like, because, uh, you know, from the outside, you put this last song you put out like last week pretty like country vibes like very totally. different vibe and yeah. i'm like my my snap answer was like oh i get it like for his typical solo stuff he'll do the almost and then when he wants to be in this slightly different genre he'll use his name and i don't think that's actually how you view it now and i think that your view on not limiting genres or or creativity is really fucking cool so i want to hear you explain that a little bit more yeah i think i view myself more now as a writer than anything right like i'm not interested in like i gotta make it you know like i want to write i want to put out an almost record that's going to be number one like i have zero interest in doing that it would be fine obviously but like, <laughs> i have no interest in doing that i think under oath is we spent an hour talking about it it's so special to me and i'm so thankful but as an artist for myself like in 06 07 i was so wrapped up in being a front man in a band, the almost, yeah. you know, at the time we had made to find the great line. And I had all these ideas that were like, I wanted to write like roll your window down, like rock songs that kind of had the Southern bend to them. Um, so that's where the first almost record came from. And it was important to me to be the front man and important for me to, to make it popular. Um, I don't feel that way now at all. Um, I want to release music as a writer and Sometimes it's going to be Southern country, Bruce Springsteen, whatever the hell I released last week. And I have no interest in it selling and I have no interest in it climbing a chart. I just want to make it. And then maybe yeah. if I make something for the almost, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But like, I just want to make stuff and I write a lot of music all the time, you know, and I can never figure out where it lives. So I think for my name, it's like, I don't have a rule on my name and I feel like the almost has tainted is tainted with a little bit of like, it should be like a rock band. You know what I mean? But I, I feel like my own stuff can be 
whatever I think it should be. You know? Well, and that I don't, yeah, it, it can be anything cool. Because now, and I think I even talked to Tim a little bit about this, and I, I love that you guys as Under Oath and even your manager, Randy, like you guys really embrace the current and you're not like old heads shaking a stick. Like Tim is so here for these solo artists that can produce on their own. And Randy's always looking to the future and hearing you explain it like that, like that's literally the mindset of these young up and coming solo artists that I'm talking to on the podcast where they didn't have a band. They just figured out how to make a beat or produce on their own and put For out sure. music because all yeah. they fucking want to do is create and put music out. So if they can't get a band to do it with them, they're just going to figure it out. And I'm hearing those parallels in what you're saying now where you're just like, I just want to create. I don't care. And I love that you're not making it precious. And I love that you're not letting songs go die in a graveyard. You're just like, I'm going to put stuff out. That's what it's called. When a song dies, song it goes, mountain. <laughs> goes to song, song mountain. Dude, you know what's funny? And as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about this, and you're talking about young solo artists. So I I, I have a publishing deal and I spent most of my life has spent as a writer for other people. So mm-hmm. Zoom five days a week. And then like we talked about before we started, like I travel to Nashville quite a bit now, um, you know, five days a week writing sessions, artists, young artists, country artists, and whatever, uh, every genre. But I've noticed this is the last year and it's, dude, music is and strange because it it changes like the tide you know like what's popular so i have this ritual in the mornings i wake up really early i have two kids and i go running or ride a bike or whatever and i get a brief in my google calendar for my session that day and it'll be like sometimes it's a dropbox sometimes it's a spotify link to like the artist you know and i started seeing this about a year ago maybe a little less but i would click on a link and it would be like a bedroom pop song in Billie yep. Eilish style or like a, you know, a mumble rap kid, whatever. Yep. And so you listen to it and then this kid would come on the screen, this young artist, 21, sometimes 16, young. I, you know, I was thinking like, like, give a guitar riff. I'm like, what? What are you fucking talking about? A guitar riff? You know, like I've been really is into pop punk lately. And these are kids, you know, that like, weren't there for all the stuff we talked about for the last hour um yeah so it's come back around and what's beautiful about it is everything they have that's on spotify is bedroom pop you know beats like you just said and then they want to make guitar music you know like i just worked with this artist on electra last week billy eilish pop style song the next song is a full-on like two guitars bass and drums rock song and they don't care Like, and I think that's beautiful. Like I lean into that because our own, my own trajectory, my whole artist life has been that. If you listen to Chasing Safety and listen to Find the Great Line, those are not the same thing. You know what I mean? Like we don't make records like that. And I think that that's the key to like being, I hate the word authentic, but authentic as a writer uh, and as an artist and authentic as a human. It's like, you're not going to wear the same clothes you did six years ago because they're not, they're not, they don't, they don't speak to who you are, you know? Yep. And I think that as music is more and more and more accessible, everything's so accessible now, like it's not as macro as it used to be. You don't have to wait two years to put out the weird different album. You can do it the next month, you know, you can drop a single on Spotify that sounds like Blink-182, you know? I mean, look at Machine Gun Kelly. That dude was a fucking rapper two years ago. Great you know I mean? example. Great and example. And now he is... I- singing pop punk music 
you know. But you know, you know something that I think people get twisted, like you're saying all of that. And I'm like, one, you fucking get it. Two, that's awesome that you support it and that you're down and that you're seeing that. Cause I've noticed the same thing is like uh you again more so than myself, but a lot of my young friends or my younger artist friends that maybe came from bedroom pop or, you know, self-produced underground hip hop all have this love and respect for pop punk and rock music or guitar music. And they're almost just like didn't get the chance to be in a band and make it themselves. So when they get to meet people that have worked in it, they're like, dude, let's do that. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, but one of the my favorite things that I think is so funny is when people will be like, did you hear Machine Gun Kelly's bringing pop punk back? And it's like, well, <laughs> no. You <laughs> rinsed and repeated the same boring shit over and over and over again and ruined a genre. And now these kids that used to make hip hop and bedroom pop are just excited and evolving and feel like yep. using guitars. It's a lot yep. different. And Dude. I just like, it's Dude. so interesting because the people like, it's like, it doesn't matter the instrument. It doesn't matter mm -mm. what the song is about or who you are that's doing it. It's, it's this again, your word that you don't like to use, but it's like, it's authentic in this different way. Or is, are you creating something that you're stoked on? Are you innovating? Are you trying new shit? And people attach to that. People like that. So it's so different. Like you see this new wave of pop punk and it's like, well, it's, yeah, because it's punk. It's actually punk. They're breaking rules. Like it's not just this stupid formula. So I love that you're a part of influencing that and you're supporting it and you're showing these these kids and these artists uh some tricks dude what you just said got me before before you got to your actual point you're you're like because you rinsed and repeated it and it's true and and and, and how i know it's true is like this new like wave of pop punk i don't think benefits the pop punk, pop punk fans of yesterday. I don't think it benefits no. them at all. And and, no. and and I think because pop, rock music became really formulaic for a second. Like it was, like you just said, rinse and repeat. It was really formulaic. Like yeah. it was almost more formulaic than pop music because then you have Billie Eilish who came along. It's like, I made this in my bedroom with my brother and I'm going to be the next Kurt Cobain. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like here it is. Like, do you like it? I'm barely singing. You can hear the spit in my mouth. And it became the biggest thing. Do you know what I mean? And that stuff is brilliant. It's so good. But like, it's not going to benefit the guys who are in, in gals who are sitting looking at it going, oh, we already did this. But you didn't know. Like, you did. You used the guitar, but you didn't know. Like, this is the new, this is the new thing because, again, here we are. It's just authentic and it's real and it's, it's actually punk. Do you know what I mean? Yes, like, it's so similar, yet it's so fucking different. It's and people so aren't weird. getting the most important part where it's like, for these people making it, it's not rinsed and repeated. And it's their freaking favorite thing that they've come up with. And it's so fresh and exciting. Dude, you know what's weird about it is being a part of making it. I made one of those songs today. And oh, wow. they approach it differently than we did. You know? Really? When, like, so... So, you know, back in the day, it was like, we didn't have a giant, powerful laptop like we're talking on right now. Like yeah. I can make a symphony right on this machine, right? Yeah. We didn't have that. Like we didn't have anything. Like I think about it now and I don't know how we remembered how to make 
our songs. We were to re rehearse in a storage unit in Brandon off Falkenberg and then go make the records, like rehearse and write those songs for months and then somehow remember them and go record them, which is so insane like to think about. But now everyone has a studio right here. So like they've made music like that since they started making music, like the bedroom pop kids, the rapper kids that are making pop punk now. So what they do is they take a guitar riff and they've never had the accessibility of a giant studio to record a real drum set. So they don't record real drums most of the time. I mean, Travis Barker is obviously, but like, you know, like they're programming shit like they would to make their bedroom pop or their rap music, but then they're putting guitar with it. That's yeah. why it's fresh and different because yeah. it's made with the same approach that they made bedroom pop and rap with. It's yeah. invented the same way. And I know that because I send stems of guitars off to these kids every day. And then they send back trap drums with distorted guitar and a sang pop punk vocal and then some weird ass synth they probably would have used in their rap song. And that's right. why it's different. That's why it's different yeah. because they're not approaching it like we were. Their instrument, a lot of times, and not all of them, you know, some of them are jamming, but we jammed, you know, yeah. and they didn't, they don't jam. They make their shit. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, that's what I think a lot of the old codgers, if you will, are missing is like part of the art is how it's put together yeah. and they're putting it together the same authentic way. Fuck, there it is again. The same authentic, authentic <laughs> way they put together like their bedroom pop and their rap music. They're putting yeah. it together the same way. It's just different, different sounds, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's and crazy. Dude, you want to, you want another piece of that that'll fuck you up is I had a uh, 44 Phantom on the podcast pretty yeah. recently Sick. and uh he like we had this this conversation where he has never played a live show and he feels this deep obligation to put on like the craziest live show and he's so adamant about having a real full band but wow. that's a whole challenge like i don't have an answer to this but it's just something that i'm excited to observe is like i, I mean one thing we all know is that under oath puts on a fucking live show and now we have this next generation and they're making the songs and they're great to listen to. But as we come out of the pandemic, we're going to see this whole new generation figuring out how to tour and how to perform live and put on a real show. And Crazy. some of them will innovate and do the craziest shit and view it the same way and be like, oh, now I get a band. I can do this, this and this. And others won't. Others won't get that and it won't translate. Yeah. And I'm excited to see those who do. And I'm excited to see the 44 Phantoms where it's like, oh, wow. Like you're you're coming at this with this whole new approach. And that that blew my mind when I was talking to him about that. It's that's dude, it's so weird. But I think that a lot of those kids will make the coolest, best live shows because like you said, he was like, he feels this massive obligation, you know, yeah. like to make like the biggest splash. And I think that, We'll see a lot of that, you know, because these kids who've been locked up in lockdown and I've, dude, I've worked with so many people that's, that became popular online through the lockdown, which is so wild to think about. Yeah. Like they've got to go and pioneer now. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like we're going to go on the road when it happens and it's going to be no different for us other than the fact that we didn't get to play for a while, but right. we've already done that. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's going to yeah. feel like you'll like... come, you'll have different production. There will be little things, but like for the most part, y'all been new. Like, you know what you do, you know, who shows up. That's you know what I'm saying. Band plays we'll, we'll have some different video content, but like, I kind of know what it's going to sound like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I know, yeah. like, I mean, it's always fresh every night. Like I know what, I kind of know what to expect. Right. You know, I know people will be stoked on writing on the walls live. Do you know what I mean? Yes. But yes. like these bands that have 4 million listens on TikTok overnight, like these artists, like what's that going to be like when they walk out on stage and there's people there? That yeah. It's going to be a whole, it's like a revival of some weird, you know, like I'm super stoked because you're not, I know, you're, say. you're not going to see, I don't, I don't think you'll ever get a chance to see that in our lifetime. Like it's going to be. You know, dude, like, it's, it's so wild. It's so cool. And I agree with you. Yeah, and so. then I instantly think of this other question where it's like, okay, so you're so aware of it and we're having this conversation and you completely get it, hmm. but you're also, I believe still writing new music for under oath and something new will come out at some point. For sure. Yeah. So you're all aware of that. Mm -hmm. Here's where it gets tricky is you're inspired. You're seeing this. How do you write music for Under Oath now where you don't want to abandon your old fans? You mm. want to stay authentic because you clearly understand the concept of rinse and repeating and you don't want to do that. Under Oath totally. has never really been that. Under Oath has always tried to do new things. But yeah. like, what an interesting spot to be in, to be an established band where maybe there are more expectations Yet you're these this group of artists that's like, fuck that. We're going to do what we want to do. So we have changed the way we create too. Um, and that really started with Erase Me. But yeah. we don't, we, we will a little bit, but like not, we don't jam band much anymore. You know, like we kind of all start in the box. We call it too, computer as well. Um, yeah. And then Under Oath is, there's a ton, you know, it's, it's predominantly real instruments other than Chris's stuff. So it's not the same as like the bedroom pop kids adding guitars. Like it's a band, you know, yeah, but like yeah. we start with now we start with Chris's shit a lot. Like he'll be like, he scores movies and stuff now. So he'll be like, I have this vignette, like, and we'll listen to it and it'll inspire like a feeling. And then we'll add and add and add. So that's kind of the way we create now, um, yeah. which is different, you know, but it feels normal because there was so much time between Under Oath albums. You know, I quit in 2010. The band did a record without me. And then there was nothing until 2018. So right. like we'd all changed as people and the way we created. And we had all had been making music during that time. And most of us, like the rest of the world, had shifted to making music like this. You yeah. know what I mean? Starting here. So I think that's why you got Erase Me, which was vastly different than the album before. And then whatever comes next, whatever, whatever comes next, I am... 99.999% sure will be vastly different than Erase Me. You know what I mean? Right. Whatever that is and whenever that is, like, I, you know, we just, we've we've changed our approach too, like the rest of the world has. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's yeah. that's how you get away from rinse and repeat is you change, you know? Right. You change, but you, but you don't just change the style. That doesn't work. Like, you change the way you create. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, that's and, like, that's the thing is so many bands can have, like, can be like, oh, we did a different album, but more so than ever after understanding you specifically and Tim specifically, and even Randy is your manager, the way that he views like the strategy and releasing an album and, and sure. conceptually putting it together. I, dude, like, I don't know how many other bands 
I like I'm how do I say this? I'm more excited to hear what you guys do over so many other bands because even though you are a legacy band that had, you know, come up in 2000 early 2000s, you're still so relevant as creators and I'm just so excited to see what that brings. Oh, that's nice, man. I think dude, you know, like I just want to make something every day. Like I want to wake up and make something every day and I think that like you can't put a cap on how you do it and what software you use and like if it's this genre or that genre and if you use like that guitar amp or this guitar amp like who cares who cares if there's yeah. no guitars right yeah like, who yeah. cares if there's no drums like is it cool like yeah and i think that's just something that we've always been able to fight through and it's been sometimes weird and difficult like socially to be like i want to do that fuck you and i want to do this fuck you and then it's like but is it good that's always the thing is it good right. and, 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 right. and even like with randy you know like he's he has so many ideas and sometimes i'm like dude that won't work and he's like let's just try and 90 percent of the time it does you know like yeah. i've i've told a few people this but we did those live streams last summer and they were really successful, you know, yeah. like yeah. super successful, which I'm so grateful for. And our fans were so, so gracious. And it, dude, it was awesome. Like, and it gave, it felt so good. And like the whole thing, but I'll never forget. I had a three week old, my daughter was three weeks old at the time. And I flew to Florida in the height of the pandemic. And I walk in this warehouse that we rehearse in and we rent like a lot of our production stuff from. And I walk in this warehouse and it had this huge setup, you know, like the observatory setup was like this big circle of trusses. And I don't know if you saw any of it, but it was like a thing. Yeah. And I walk in there and I'm like, I'm going to lose my house. Like that was my first thought. <laughs> like I literally was like, Randy is like, Randy fucked up. Like I was like, this is so much Stuff. Randy just took the food off of my three-year-old's table. Yeah, and then, <laughs> my three-week-old. Three Tim is like directing camera shots. And we're going to do it live for real. We did. It was not pre-taped. And I'm like, we're fucked. Like, we are fucked. But I think it takes that level of risk to like do something, you know? And that's why the pop punk rapper kids are it's happening. Because it's kind of a risk. Like... Who wanted to hear Machine Gun Kelly, who was doing a diss track in 2018 for Eminem? Who wanted to hear him yeah. play Blink-182 ass songs? Apparently right. everyone did. Right. <laughs> you know like, I mean? No one could have told him that. No one could have said the roadmap points from diss track to Eminem to Blink-182-esque songs. That's and you're going to be on SNL. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So like much like me walking in there and then. And Randy was so confident, but I know there's a piece of him that was like, I hope this fucking works. I know it. <laughs> like, I know it. Just like Machine Gun Kelly was probably like, am I crazy? You know, he probably, he would never admit it. But like, if you sat him down and like, come on, man, like, did you really think you went from Eminem diss track to this shit? You really think it was going to work? You yeah, were going to be yeah, on yeah. fucking SNL dating a famous actress, wherever. Yeah. Like, he'd be like, nah. Do you know what I mean? Like. It's that level of risk, though. And I don't think anything is good without that level of risk. And it's like, it's scary. 
you know, but I think our band has always been that. And I'm thankful for that, that Randy has guided us through like, and he's a really calculated person, you know, in the, in that episode, he talks, you, you did with him, he talks about, you know, how he does his emails and shit. Like he's so calculated, but it's fucked up. There's this level of risk that he does. He pulls this bullshit and sometimes it works. And when it does, Damn. it really, really does, you know? So I think that's what it is. I think all of it, the kids in their bedrooms making the pop punk again, like it's that level of risk. And if you're willing to lean into that level of risk, I think, Yeah, I think I might be wrong, but I think. No, man, I like, there's like this quote that just rings in my head over and over again. And it's just, if it scares you, you should probably do it. And I hate Dude. that quote. And I hate that I believe that because I'll have all these times where I'm very conservative by nature and I don't want to scare myself and I don't want to do the risky thing, but it just rings and rings. And I'm just like, ah, oh, live a life worth living. Damn it. Try it. <laughs> it gets me, it's man. True, man. <laughs> Fucking gets it's, me. It's true. If you don't leave in the red, you're not going to get to the black. You know, you have to like, you got to take the risk to get the reward. It's, it's, it's crazy. I'm not as good at, as good at that as Randy or, you know, as Tim who like bought like dilapidated piece of shit gas station and turned, <laughs> turned it, into it into my into favorite the best restaurant. restaurant in Tampa. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I wish that I had more of that. I mean, I think I got a little bit of it, but I think I kind of, I kind of absorbed it through osmosis from some of those guys, you know, like they just don't. I just, the, yeah, the, the Tim, well, I was just you know, say that like you are the sum of the, the five people you surround yourself with the most and things like that. It's like, okay, maybe you don't specifically deep dive, but like you've, you very clearly continued to work with and closely, closely associate with these people that are basically your family that you're totally. seeing do that all the time and, and inspire you to do that. And like, that's amazing. When we were, when we were recording Erase Me, Tim was buying king's date and i was like dude and i i haven't told him this but if i'm honest i was like this is wild you know he's gonna buy a dilapidated piece of shit gas station on a floor of brassica yeah and i don't know if you guys talked about this in your podcast but the story goes they bought that place him and nate and yeah. they went through like i don't really know the ins and outs of the story we should ask him but like he they couldn't find contractor to do what they needed done like it was constant, like one contractor where he would fire. And so they ended up doing it themselves. They built that place. Yeah. There's a bot. They put a bottle of whiskey in the wall because they built yeah. it themselves. <laughs> Tim is not a carpenter, dude, but he <laughs> learned how to be. Do you know what I mean? It's like so that kind of up. risk is so fucked up. And like, it's not like they they bet on some up and coming area. Like, yeah, I guess like Seminole Heights was starting to do well. But like Flora, Nebraska, like that area wasn't that like they chose a crazy spot in Tampa to put that. Not Tampa next Heights to any other like no. thing. Like it's just King State there. I told you this before we started, but I'm more proud of King State than I am of Under Oath. I think, I joke all the time. I I mean, it's my favorite thing. Like it's I'm so like I told Tim this drunkenly one night, but I'll say it now, sober as a judge. Like I I'm so proud of that place for them. Just dude, it's so good. It's so correct. Dude, you me know, too. That kind of risk though is I'll never forget it. We were recording that record and he was buying that place. And I'm literally, I've never said this to him, but I was like, you're fucking nuts. Like you are going to be homeless. Like, what did Dude. you do? Dude, it's sure so enough. crazy. And now like, there I agree is. with you. And 
I think maybe like both of us being from Florida and seeing that and every time I see King State, it inspires me more than anything. And honestly, like some of my friends don't even get it. Some of my friends are like, dude, we're in Clearwater. Why are you driving all the way to Tampa to get coffee? And I'm like, because it's so much more than coffee. And it's oh, like, yeah, it's, it's just, you say it inspires you more than Under Oath, but I think that is the physical manifestation of everything learned by Under Oath. I think that it's the physical mm. manifestation of all of his journey yeah. and what a lot of you guys have been through because it's like this constant pursuit of perfection and doing everything to your best ability, yet this like not taking yourself seriously kind of like, I don't know, fuck you to other things. Like there, there's so yeah. many levels to it and it also represents that hard work and the risk and there's just a lot of characteristics in a building that I have seen in you guys as a team and as a band. And huh. uh, that's dope. That, I love that, that to me is is it and it it's like when i think about people ask me like we were even talking about this like do like la and florida and all of that and people are like oh there's so much in la blah 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 and i'm like it's cool i don't need that like why why do i need 10 of something when i know the best when i only need the one best and it's right there and i find it so inspiring to anybody who wants to create something to take mm. that example of King State because you can say this is an area where there's not a single third wave coffee shop. No one has proven this concept, but the hard work and the 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 discipline to do something to your very best ability was put into that through and through. And now look what you have. What's that like they got top 10 food and wine the first year they were open? Like Yeah, before a year even. It was number eight. Yeah. Um number eight in the nation, um, which is crazy. And it's true. And, you know, not to spend all the time talking about King State, but I was just, <laughs> yeah, in, this section I of was the podcast, just, visit I was King's just in Nashville for two weeks writing in like the Mecca for coffee. There's a few, there's a few spots there that are like, were to me the best. Yeah. And I literally texted Tim and Nate, like one morning I was like, we call it the food store. Tim's food store. That's what we call it. <laughs> uh, our front of house guy came up with that. So we That's call so it. That's so good. They have like a skin now for your phone that says food store eat here. We came, we came up with that, but I'm like, I'm like the food store is better than these two places that to me were like the best, you know, yeah. they did it and they yep. did it like with the same mentality. I guess that everything has been done, you know, it's again, it's back to the risk thing. Like, I'm just so proud of that place because I guess what you said, it is a physical manifestation of like the way that we grew up and like the ethos that we, you know, and I obviously have nothing to do with King State, but it feels, it well, feels your like brother that. built something that you're proud of. Like, yeah, that's but it feels like, it feels like how we start, like how we did everything. He did it in a building. And I think it's also encouraging to, uh, after being a creator and like you've made sound waves, right? Like you've made this mm. almost intangible thing. And I mean, a concert is very tangible, but it's just cool. Like it's validating to see that that work ethic and that ethos can translate into other things. And I think maybe that's what inspires me too, is like, if you learn these values and if you put passion into these things, it can be a song or it can be a building and it can turn from a shitty gas station to something so special and something that's literally ranked the best in the world and like Dude, it's, that it's it's wild because 
as you're as we're talking about it, I'm like unpacking the emotion of it. And everything in my life, I've made a lot of shit, but it's all intellectual property. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or it gets recorded and put on iTunes or Spotify. Like I don't I've never made anything tangible. So I think that's why I'm so proud of it and so inspired by it too, is it's like the first thing that I've seen from somebody that I love that's close to me that's like, yo, that's the thing. I just feel like it is like that physical manifestation of a lot of the things that I, the values that I've seen in you guys. And that's, I mean, dude, I've, I went on one tour with y'all. I know y'all, like, it's not like I'm like deep, deep in it and I still feel it. So yeah, dude. Yeah. And um, you got, you vanned it up on that tour too. You earned that shit. Oh, hell yeah. 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 You're, the, you're one, of the OG, any day. one of the OGs, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah as their manager too like i had no what was i doing out there i just, just wanted to make fucking, sure they were good on tour just chilling dude just just chilling, chilling. love it i love yep. it okay so my last question and this will be a crazy one let's go is i mean you've been done the thing you have so many experiences you've been inspired you've been burnt you've played the craziest venues you've had the craziest sellouts and the accomplishments and everything so, if you could go back to any version of yourself, any place, any any chapter of the story, and it could be a spot of a ton of turmoil or uncertainty or any spot, mm. where do you go back to now and what do you tell that version that you go back to? What what advice do you give that person? So, once you have kids, it's hard to say, it's hard to think about going back because nothing is important as your kids. Right. Wow. Like, yeah. Once you have kids, it's like my biggest fear in life doesn't, it doesn't, it used to be like dying or whatever, you know, like, or like my biggest fear in life is something happening to my children. Right. Wow. It's like a huge fucking thing for me. Like, and I think any dad would say that. But, um, if I think, if I remove the kids and I could, I could go back, I would go back to 2006, the summer of 2006, Define the Great Lion came out. And we were on Warp Tour in 06, and it was serious then. You know, it was that record came out and sold almost 100,000 copies first week. And we were number two uh, on Billboard that week. Like we would have been number one, but Who Nelly Furtado put a record out that ah. week. Um, and it was unheard of for us to be there, you know, yeah. like it was wrong. Um, but socially, we were so fucked up. Like so fucked up. It was the worst, darkest time for us six as friends. Um, and we we left Warp Tour, and it was this tumultuous thing. Um, and we literally could have skirted all of that by just talking to one another, um, by going, "Hey, are you okay? Like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. let's figure it out." Um, and I think for me, you know, not to end on the somber mood, but like if I could go back and like, and be more of a caring person and more of like a supporter as opposed to like someone standing on the outskirts of the situation being judgmental, which I think we all did. I don't think there's a single perpetrator, like a, sol a solitary perpetrator in the, in what happened. Um, and a lot of the story is not mine to tell. Um, but I will say this, that all of the issues that, happened to us at that time could have been alleviated by just literally something as simple as what you and I have done for the last hour and a half. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like having sitting yeah. down and having like a real conversation, but we were all pretty bad conversationalists at that point, you know, which I think is an abnormal when you're 23 and 
you grew up with nothing and you're handed everything essentially overnight, you know? But that era of the band could have been the best era of our career. Um, and it wasn't. It was the biggest era of our career, but it was emotionally and socially awful. Mm. Like we did not like one another and we couldn't figure out how to communicate. So I would tell myself like, just sit down and talk, figure it out. If it takes two days, cancel three shows. Don't cancel a full summer and blow your life up because you can't figure out how to communicate with your friends. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But I also don't think that at that age, you're capable of like, you can't talk to yourself that way. Sure. You know, now you can talk to yourself differently. At 38, you can be like, what do you, why are you worried about X, Y, and Z? Like, just figure it out. I don't think people were talking about this as much. And I don't think that people could have conversations as much. So literally the fact that we can have podcasts and the fact that people are more aware of like mm. mental health and looking out for one another like the fact that this podcast can live on and that any listener that finds it Wild. who's maybe on their come up can hear your advice to yourself and your past perspective might catch it now and might be like, damn, because of this conversation that I heard, I'm not going to fuck that up. And I don't want to be like so self-righteous to be like, my podcast is going to save a band. No, but no, like, just you're not doing as that. a whole and conversations as a whole. I think yeah. there's more of that. And I think that the technology that lets us connect in the more hopeful side of internet and technology could hopefully enlighten people to, to maybe not get stuck yeah. like that. Yeah, dude. I mean, I think that, I think that most people blow, blow a shot or a chance or like an opportunity or whatever. Most people that do blow it and I've blown it a lot. We blew it that summer, but I think you blow it when you, become short-sighted in the situation, right? When you like can't see like, you can't see the sky for the trees and you don't know how to dig out, you know what I mean? And I think you get that way simply, like I said, by not communicating. But now, like you said, with, with all of, I think our children and I think people as the world gets older and people grow up and as all this technology has been available for a while, I don't, I, I hope that people don't blow it as much because of non- being able to not have conversations because it'll be so normal to them. You yeah. know, like yeah. I see it, I have a nine-year-old son and I see it in him, you know, like he's so good at talking to people and like understanding his emotion and like understanding a scenario where, you know, God, when I was 23, I don't know that I was as emotionally developed and aware as my nine-year-old. Literally, I don't. Yeah. And I, I, you can blame it on the, you can blame it on the times. And I think that has a lot to do with it, you know, and the fact that you can carry around in your pocket, anything you need to know now. Um, but it's wild to think about. And I hope that the good side of it all prevails enough that, you know, when my children are grown and they're 23 and they have their shot, whatever that is, that they won't squander it because they can't, you know, I don't think it'll happen to them. You know, I didn't have a cell phone until I was 21. And it was a, I had a Motorola, Motorola Razor in 06. So let's go. It was That's a different. flex. That's a flex was, right there. Dude, honestly. hard, hard flex. It was different, dude. But yeah, man, I would, to put a cap on that question, I would go back to that time and be like, yo, dude, just talk to your friends, man. Shit. I wasn't good at conversation until I was 30. <laughs> it sucks, dude. You know what I mean? Like, it sucks, dude. Yeah. Like if, yeah. if, if during the Find the Great Line era, there was podcast. And we mm. sat down for two hours. I won't. I don't. I wouldn't have been able to do it. Like I couldn't do it. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I couldn't yeah. do this and like make it even like understandable at all. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wild. I love Wild. that though. That's that's really cool. That's a really cool perspective. I'm always so, so curious of what people have to say on that because I've heard some some very different answers and I always feel like selfishly I grow a lot by by hearing what other people have experienced and hopefully try to apply that to myself. So that's a good one. We can that's only learn, dude. What's that before we go, what's that steering wheel for back there, dude? Oh man, that's the first time I ever went to Japan on tour. I'm a big car person and there's a place called Up Garage and they okay. sell like used tuner parts. And I went there and I was all excited. I had seen it online on like Tumblr and I was like, I'm going to go there. And I bought a Nardi steering wheel and I packed it in my suitcase and came home and got stopped at LAX when we came home. And they said, what are you doing with this? Are you some oh. kind of business? And I said, oh my I'm God. Just a, I think I was 23. I said, I'm just a 23 year old kid that likes cars. But uh, I've kept that steering wheel with me ever since. So sick, dude. But damn, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, dude, thank you, this, man. I, I, this I, one uh, really got me. I for, for sure like am a fan of the pod and I um, for sure enjoyed it, man. Super, super fun to do. And yeah, dude, keep digging, keep doing them. So there it is, the conclusion to the Aaron Gillespie podcast saga. I really hope y'all liked that one as much as I did. And if you're here at the end of this and you want even more, there actually is a 20-minute bonus episode on the Where Are All My Friends Patreon. It's patreon.com slash where are all my friends. And that was a really honest, candid conversation. We happened to be recording before we officially started the podcast, and we talked a lot about not taking things for granted. We talk about the ebb and flow of creative inspiration and how sometimes it's there and you're so excited and on it and how other times it's lacking and how to get that back. And we also just talked about like our love for Florida and kind of just chopping it up in more of a conversational way than me asking questions. On top of that, if you're new here, thank you again so much for listening all the way to the end. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you found the podcast subscribing helps a ton and also if you're new make sure to send me a message or leave a comment let me know who else you want to hear from on the podcast i love hearing from y'all and trying to do as many interviews as i can from people that you request so definitely let me know if you want to do me a favor and leave some feedback on apple podcasts that's also super super helpful i think that just about says it all i'll be back next week with another episode thank you so much for listening